Hello, my name's Joanne Locke, and today I'll be reading from God's Word for us. We're going to be looking this week at Psalm 13, and you can follow along in your Bibles at home or on the screen. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? and day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Uh, well, it's great to be here with you this morning. Um, special welcome to you again if you're a visitor to this church. Uh, so that you know, I'm also a visitor. I'm not a regular member of this church. I actually go to Trinity Church in the CBD on North Terrace. Uh, but one of the privileges of us in the Trinity network of churches is that we are a network. And so for the next few weeks, uh, I'm really delighted to be with you uh, looking at some of these great psalms in the Old Testament. Uh, as we get started, can I ask you please to have your Bibles open in front of you? Uh, it'd be really important to have one. It's only a short reading, as you heard, but it'd be good to have it there in front of you. Um, there should be an outline available, either emailed during the week or you can pull it down from the notes section. Uh, but I would encourage you to put your uh, church online screen into full screen so that all the apps and notifications are turned off as well, so you can concentrate over the next little while. Well, I'm going to start today with a pretty direct question to get us straight to the point. And the question you'll see is there on the handout. Uh, the question is this, which is the bigger challenge to your faith? The questions in your head or the attacks from unbelievers? Which is the bigger challenge to your faith? The questions in your head or the attacks from unbelievers? I wonder how you might answer this question. And I wonder why you would respond in the way in which you do. Well, the reason I've chosen to start there is because this short but incredibly profound psalm, Psalm 13, tries to grapple with these very issues. Uh, as we begin, uh, let me just briefly explain my approach and how it is that we're going to read these psalms uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, you'll see again, there's a little box there on your handout on the left-hand side. Uh, reading the Psalms. Uh, the key, I think, to reading the Psalms is to remember first and foremost what God is like before we ask how we should live. Remember what God is like before asking how we should live. And there's a few reasons for that, again, which I've listed there on your handout. Uh, firstly, that enables us to avoid the trap of moralism, that is, of just trying to repeat what the Old Testament has to say. And that's important because, to state the obvious, uh, well, you and I, we're not Old Testament Jews. And in fact, in the Old Testament, it's only God who's exemplary. Uh, all too often, the human characters are very flawed. Uh, God is the main character of the Bible, so it stands to reason that we ought to ask what God is like. Uh, but the second reason why we do that is because, again, we're not Old Testament Jews, uh, we are New Testament Christians. And so every time we read the Bible, what we're looking to see is how Jesus is the fullest revelation of God. And in the end, the main reason why I encourage us to ask 
What does Psalms 13 tell us what God is like before asking how we ought to live is so that we have a confidence to read the Psalms for ourselves today and to apply them. Well, with that brief background, come then to the three things I want to say today, what Psalm 13 says about God, how Psalm 13 points us to Jesus, and what Psalm 13 asks of us today. And we'll start at point one, what Psalm 13 says about God. Well, uh, you'll notice from that reading that there's a simple structure to the psalm. It's in two parts. Uh, There's a problem that David describes in verses 1 through 4, and then there's the solution in verses 5 and 6. There's also a heading that you might have seen at the top of the the Bible reading. Uh, This particular heading there, it's a reminder that the psalms were songs that were meant to be sung. Songs that were meant to be sung. And then you'll see it there in the heading. It's for the director of music, it's a psalm of David. Psalms are songs that were meant to be sung. This particular song starts with David grabbing our attention with a powerful lament. Uh, Listen again to verses 1 and 2. You'll hear the repeated refrain, how long, four times. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and, and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now, we don't actually know the specifics of David's situation. Suffice it to say, he's in some serious kind of trouble. You see that trouble in three different ways. Firstly, with God, verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, clearly, this challenge is very personal to David especially when you realise that the word Lord there, uh, the the third word in verse 1, the word Lord there is in capitals, and it's in capitals to say that this is not just a reference to some God, some divine power, rather the word Lord in capitals, this was the particular name that Israel had for her God, uh, what we would call today Jehovah. So this is a personal challenge to David. And you see that reinforced in verse 3 when, verse 3, look on me and answer, Lord, my God. Lord, my God. That tiny word, my, there, it both reinforces the personal nature of David's dilemma and it ups the ante. David has some trouble with his God, but secondly, David has trouble in himself. Look at verse 2. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Verse 2 is telling us that God's silence has landed David in a dark place, a dark place of inner turmoil. Now, I don't in any way mean to be trivial, but I wonder what goes through your mind when someone doesn't reply to your email or your text or your post. You see, for David, it's God who has hidden his face. God who seems to have turned his back. But there's a third way in which David is in trouble, not just with his God or in himself. Thirdly, it's from others. From others. Look at verse 2, the last line there in verse 2. How long will my enemy triumph over me? 
How long will my enemy triumph over me? And to be honest, this seems to be the presenting problem. It's expanded there in verses 3 and 4. Psalm 13, verse 3. Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Now, as I said at the start, we clearly don't know the specifics of the situation, but whatever it is, the threat to David from others, well, this is a matter of life and death. And surely you and I can relate to that, to a life and death situation, given the fear and terror that is gripping our world at the moment. Well, I wonder, is it any surprise then that David's circumstances have caused him to question not just himself, his circumstances have caused him to question his God and the character of the one whom he follows. Now, Psalm 13, verses 1 through 4. Let me acknowledge that for some of us, uh, we're sitting there and actually pretty, we're feeling pretty frustrated by the fact that we don't know the exact specifics of David's situation. I mean, surely that would make it easier to be able to interpret it and then apply it. Can I say that I understand that, although actually I think it's okay that we don't know the specifics of what David is going through? Partly that's because I think it means that we're free to imagine scenarios where we might be brought to say the things that David has said in verses 1 through 4. What it means is that we can't just say, oh, you know what, Psalm 13, uh, that's about David's situation, and I'm not an Old Testament believer, and I'm certainly not the king of Israel, so it doesn't speak to me. We can't say that. Instead, if you remember my opening question, remember the question, which is the bigger challenge for us, the questions in your head or the attacks from unbelievers? It gives us an opportunity to reflect on where the parallel situations might be for you and I today. Here's a couple of thoughts. Attacks from unbelievers? Well, sometimes that might be physical attack, as appears to be the case, I suspect, in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 13. And that actually is the literal experience of the majority of Christians throughout the ages, even today, in most parts of the world. There could be physical attack from unbelievers, but equally, perhaps this is more our experience in Australia, in Adelaide in the 21st century, equally, it might be the ridicule and scorn that we experience in the face of suffering it's not hard to imagine a scenario where atheists mock us, particularly in the time of COVID-19. Where is this God whom you claim loves us so much? Maybe it's the attack from unbelievers. Maybe it's the questions in our head. The questions in our heads that come when we see the unbelievers' lives around us that looks so easy, so uncomplicated when compared with our own. I mean, the unbelievers around us, they're not always looking for opportunities for evangelism. 
better on always trying to work out how they can preach that message. You're a sinner who needs saving. Haven't you at times been tempted just to keep quiet, to blend in, to stop always rocking the boat, looking for an opportunity to proclaim Christ? I know that I have. So verses 1 through 4 outline the severity of the problem. At that point, we shift then in verses 5 and 6 where we see David describe with incredible thanksgiving the wonder of the solution. Now, the turning point actually in Psalm 13 comes in verse 5 with that word but, uh, which I'm going to read in just a moment. Before I do, let me just point out that, uh, well, I'm no songwriter, uh, but as I've reflected on Psalm 13 this last week, it struck me that verses 1 through 4 could be like a haunting lament maybe in a minor key, before in verses 5 and 6, kind of the whole mood changes. I imagine it shifting to some kind of stirring, upbeat power anthem, building to a rising crescendo. Have a listen. Take it from the top. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. My enemy will say, I've overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. Verse 5. But. But. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Well, two crucial points about how David responds to this crisis. Now, firstly, notice that David never actually does anything. All he does is appeal to God to intervene. Verse 5, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. That is, David's solution ultimately is not really David's solution because David can't solve his dilemma. Rather, he knows he needs God's deliverance because he cannot manufacture his own. The second thing to notice about David's response is that even though David calls on his God to not forget not hide his face, to answer, to give light to his eyes. Well, the psalm concludes, the song ends without David saying if God actually ever intervened. Do you notice that? It finishes without David recording what God actually did, not in this situation. And so in Psalm 13, there is no promise of when God will act. In that sense, it feels to me awful like, awful, sorry, in that sense, it seems to me it feels awfully like being locked down. See, all of us know that this will end. We just don't know when. And that's a large part of our turmoil, I think. 
Instead, Psalm 13 simply concludes with David's resolution to trust in God's unfailing love, verse 5. Trust in God's unfailing love so his heart rejoices and he will sing the Lord's praises. Do you notice David's progression in just two short verses in 5 and 6? Trust, rejoice, sing. Trust, rejoice, sing. And in fact, well, in verse 6, David is choosing to sing now. Remember my observation earlier that psalms are meant to be sung? David is doing just that. Well, the big question in all of this is why? Why is David content to trust in God's unfailing love and in God's own timing and not run around trying to devise his own solution? Well, look with me one last time at Psalm 13, at the very last line in verse 6. In verse six. Why is David willing to trust in God's unfailing love, to rejoice in his salvation and to sing the Lord's praise? Verse 6, for he has been good to me. For he has been good to me. Verse 6 is telling us that what God has done before gives David confidence about what God will do again. Let me say that again. What God has done before gives David confidence about what God will do again. Now, on your handout there, you'll see that I've written a phrase. Uh, this is the basic tenet of modern psychology. Is that the best indicator of future performance is past behaviour. The best indicator of future performance is past behaviour. Now, I keep repeating this, and you might have heard me say it before. I keep repeating it because it's so easy to forget. You see, we value living in the moment but it's so easy to feel overwhelmed in the moment, is it not? By contrast, Psalm 13 says that the only sure way to plan for the future is to remember the past. The only sure way to plan for the future is to remember the past. Now, if I give you an illustration, uh, those of us who wear glasses know something about this. If you wear glasses, then particularly as you age, at some point, in all likelihood, you'll end up needing multifocals, multifocals. You know, those things that enable you to see two things at once, to look both near and far. Actually, I think what Psalm 13 is reminding us is that we don't so much need multifocals, rather, we need divergent lenses, divergent lenses, so that we can look in two directions, both behind and ahead. Now, Psalm 13 is saying that David has a choice to make now. It's a choice to make as he awaits God's intervention at some point in the future, though he knows not when. And that choice is based on what God has done for him in the past. Will he sing the Lord's praise no matter how he's feeling, no matter what others are saying. 
This is not some naive denial of the reality of hardship. David doesn't have his head stuck in the sand. Living by faith is hard at times. Remember that lament from verses 1 and 2. How long, Lord? Four times. How long? But we have a choice to make. And so in six lines, we see David make that decision as he moves from dwelling on our circumstances to praising God's character. We see David move from desperate petition to heartfelt praise, knowing that our God will not forget us. Well, that's point one. That's most of where I was going to spend time today, how, what Psalm 13 tells us about our God. Let me say, talk very briefly then about how Psalm 13 points us to Jesus. And here one of the lovely things about the Bible is that there's a whole lot of different ways that Jesus is seen as the culmination or the fulfilment of Scriptures. I can think of many coming from Psalm 13. I think of Jesus being attacked by Satan in the desert. The question, where is your God now? Or I think of Jesus being full of sorrow in his heart at Lazarus's tomb in the Garden of Gethsemane. But above all, I think of Jesus' final words before his death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. How reassuring. Jesus knows what you and I are enduring, for he has trusted our Father's unfailing love. How wonderful. The Father did not abandon the Son. He raised him to life. And so we know he will not abandon us either. Well, we've seen what Psalm 13 says about our God and how it points us to Jesus. Thirdly and finally then, what does it ask of us today? Well, once again, as I've said a few times, Psalm 13 is a song that's meant to be sung. And actually, the singing of the songs is one of the ways in which it shapes us. It's kind of like, if I can put it this way, it's kind of like uh, when you leave church humming a tune of a great song that you've just sung together. It kind of sticks in your head all week, doesn't it? And that's one of the griefs, I think, of us not being able to meet on Sundays. Nevertheless, Psalm 13 is a song that's meant to be sung. Let me set your mind at ease. You might be wondering from my repeated emphasis of that, that maybe I'm going to sing for you. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to sing. I would not inflict that on you if we were in person. Uh, so I'm certainly not going to do it on an internet video. That would make it memorable for all the wrong reasons. Although I do have an idea for how we might remember Psalm 13. I'll get to that in just a moment. Now, part of what makes Psalm 13 so memorable, I think, is that it is a lovely blended three-part harmony. It is a lovely blended three-part harmony. That is, verses 1 and 2, there was the honest expression of our thoughts and doubts. Verses 3 and 4, the pain and hurt of our enemy's attacks. Verses 5 and 6, the praiseworthy character of God. Psalm 13 is a lovely blend of all three. But I hope you realise that 
we need all three tunes to give a full picture of life. We don't, not, we don't need just unison, a single voice, lovely though a solo is. Rather, a trio, an ensemble, is even more spectacular. Psalm 13, I think, is telling us that the Lord is in every moment of life, both despair and delight. And no matter what season you are in today, it will be okay if the God who does not forget you is with you as well. And yet, which of these three tunes do you need to hear most clearly? Which is the one that will stick in your mind this week? Well, in some ways, the fourfold how long is pretty memorable, but it's not the conclusion. The conclusion in verses 5 and 6 that we ought to have ringing in our ears, well, it's what stops us from morbidly dwelling on our circumstances and instead moves us to thankfully praising God's character. After all, despite all our sufferings, we have so many reasons to sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to us. Even in the middle of coronavirus, God in his kindness has put us in Australia, in South Australia, of all places, so relatively unaffected. We have the best medical system in the world. We have governments falling over themselves to give us money. Our shops are still full of food. We even have church online, which previous generations of believers could never have imagined. I talked this week uh, to Cameron and Karen Munro. Many of you will know Cameron Munro. He's the pastor of Trinity Church Brighton. Some of you will know that he and Karen had taken a holiday earlier in the year. In February, they thought they'd go to Spain, which seemed like a good idea before, not so when they got there. In God's kindness, they made the last flight out in March. They came to Adelaide and were self-isolating in a house that someone had spare at the time. Eventually, both of them tested positive. They were treated at Flinders Medical Centre. They made a full recovery. And they spoke, they spoke of just how wonderfully well they were cared for. Not just them, actually, but their three children who were home alone in that entire time. We have much to be thankful for. And Psalm 13 encourages us to finish there, not on our own doubts and despair. If you're here today, if you've joined in, if you've logged on uh, because you're not a believer, can I say once again, welcome. It's great to have you with us. What Psalm 13 is describing is a real, genuine and authentic faith one that acknowledges the struggles of this life but offers a solid and concrete hope based on what God has already done for us.
Can I urge you afterwards, stick around online. If you've come at the invitation of a friend, talk with them. If not, reach out to the staff at this church. They would love to share more with you. If you are a believer, well, remembering David's progression in Psalm 13, trust, rejoice, sing, let me urge us, sing this song, for we have a better tune than the lament our world around us has at the moment. Sing this song, for in so doing we will stand out. Also encouraged in the leading to Easter, talking with one of the uh, student leaders on campus. Uh, she was saying to me that for the last two years, her best friend in her course, uh, she's been talking to, every week she tells her that she's going to an ES Bible study or an ES Bible talk, and her friend never said anything. She wasn't sure she was listening. And then, just as coronavirus hit, her friend reached out to her and said, can you tell me a bit about religion? Because I need some hope. And there doesn't seem like there's much around at the moment. That friend came with the Christian student to the outreach talks that were held in the week leading into Easter. How great it would be to keep praying that God would be kind and merciful to her. One last time, Psalm 13 is not naive, it's not simplistic. It's not saying everything is okay, it's saying everything will be all right because God has been good to us and he won't forget us. We don't know when he'll intervene. We don't even know how. But we can still sing his praise because our good God has a good character. It's okay to ask, how long, O Lord? Because we live by faith and not by sight. And living in the gap with multifocals or divergent lenses, that is hard at times. And yet, even asking, how long, Lord, confirms that you believe it will end and that you haven't given up yet. Think of the complaint that every child on every long car trip has ever made. You know what it is, right? Are we there yet? How long till we get there? They ask because they know that eventually the wait will be over. Well, as I said, I thought verses four and five would be a great way, sorry, verses five and six would be a great way to live. So here's my suggestion. Here's my suggestion for how you might remember it in this week ahead. I want to encourage you to say verses five and six when you wake up each day before you get out of bed. Say verses five and six when you wake up each day before you get out of bed. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he's been good to me. Seems to me that if we were to say that at the start of each day, that might help shape not just the day but the week ahead. Now, if we're all together, I get us to say it together. That's okay, you can say it in your own living rooms. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to say verses 5 and 6 with me. We'll say it twice so that it sticks. You ready? Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6. 
I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Again, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know us even in the depths of our despair. We thank you that you have acted in your Son for our salvation. So we pray that in this week ahead, give us the courage and the confidence that we need to be able to trust in your unfailing love, to rejoice in your salvation, and to sing of your praise, for you have been very good to us. Amen.